0: And welcome to Let's Chat Law, the podcast. It's Hannah May. And Gabby. We're your hosts for today's episode, all about interviews. We're discussing everything from how to prep for an interview to what questions you should ask your interviewer. And we also have the Let's Chat Law podcast team presenting our usual segments on commercial awareness, legal fun fact, and answering a listener question. So whether
1: you're on a walk, commute or you have an interview coming up, sit back, relax and listen to Let's Chat Law, the podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to Let's Chat Law, the podcast. It's Hannah May and Gabby.
1: We're your hosts for today's episode, all about interviews.
0: Well, March has flown by very quickly. It's crazy to think that we're already in April.
1: I know, but before discussing what's happening in April, um, should we discuss what's already happened in March?
0: Lots of things have been happening at Let's Chat Law in March. We had our first in-person event of 2022, an interview workshop in London which sold out, as well as a ladies and law speed networking event on Zoom and a really interesting Let's Chat Lunch commercial awareness chat about the sanctions against Roman Abramovich and Chelsea FC.
1: Yes, I actually attended the Let's Chat Lunch and there were some really great discussions um, about everything that's happening currently in Ukraine and Russia at the moment, addressing the more general effects such as the impacts on politics, the economy, the social impacts and the legal impacts um worldwide and then also discussing more specific things like the effects on law firms and how we can all include that in interviews um and it was amazing to meet so many different people and all working in a group to kind of complete the worksheet and discuss
0: the topic i'm so glad you enjoyed let's chat lunch and lots some new things too For April, we're actually focusing on the Buddy Up programme, which aims to connect aspiring lawyers together and develop their soft skills, like networking, as well as working on your CV or video interview technique. So the theme is really networking and CVs.
1: Oh, that's exciting. So what events are planned in April?
0: At the time of recording, we've got our online CV workshop coming up on Monday 11th of April, and then some in-person meetups for coffee and or brunch in different cities in England at the end of April. There will also be a free CV review for attendees at the in-person event. So listeners, stay tuned
1: for more information about the in-person meetups coming to a city near you. Now, who did you interview for this month's podcast episode, Hannah
0: Mayer? I was lucky enough to sit down with Hannah Greengrass, the Emerging Talent Advisor at my Northam, to discuss approaching interviews, your body language and how to convey your confidence, as well as answering that pesky why this law firm question. So welcome Hannah, we're delighted to have you on Let's Chat Law The Podcast to talk about interviews. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, um, my name is Hannah Greengrass and I'm currently the Emerging Talent Recruitment Advisor at Squire Pattern Boggs. Um, I've spent the past couple of years um, working um, with um, law firms, getting in the best graduate and apprentice talent and before that I spent some time um, as a coach in a careers and employability service.
0: Wow that's a very interesting career. So before we get started with the interview questions uh, about interviews what is your favourite legal book or movie?
2: I absolutely love um, Legally Blonde. Um, It's my go-to kind of motivational get me moving kind of movie and it just happens to also align with the the legal kind of support career that, that I've taken.
0: Oh, that's great to hear. Um, That is also one of my favourite legal movies, and I'm very excited for number three, which hopefully is coming out soon. Kicking off with the questions about actual interviews. As a recruiter, you are obviously involved in lots of interviews for candidates to join Squire, and Boggs. What do you look for in um, a candidate?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a couple of things that, that we look for um, and maybe a couple of kind of misunderstandings that candidates have around um, what potentially recruiters want. Um, so the first thing that I'm always looking for is curiosity. So a lot of the time we see candidates who say they're really passionate about law, but um, a lot of the time they haven't had um that much experience within a law firm and it's okay not to be um super passionate about something you haven't spent a lot of time doing um as a job but rather what i'm looking for is someone that's quite curious so they're they're keen to learn um, and and they want to grow and, and to find out more i also think that um grit and commitment is really important so um we look f- specifically for candidates who who want to be committed and will work hard to achieve kind of goals um, and and um, other achievements um, in their life can be used in an interview to kind of support that, and I think. Um, good knowledge um, of the the firm is is really important in an interview so just as much as we want to hire you and and get the right person for the job we want to make sure that you're happy in the culture and environment that the candidate is kind of in and it's important that they understand who we are and and also how we're different Um, and I think those are kind of some key things that that we look for as well as alignment around our values um, and kind of core competencies and strengths
0: that's really interesting to know um so as a follow up question you've briefly touched on uh, this in your previous answer how can a candidate uh, show that their their motivation for commercial law without having legal work experience
2: yeah really good question and I'd say that we can get a good understanding from a candidate's kind of enthusiasm engagement um so looking at applications and in interviews talking about I actually enjoyed this which I know aligns to a career in commercial law so looking at transactional um sides or non-transactional sides talking about I enjoy spending time with people and working with customers um I enjoy kind of being methodological through tasks that maybe align to some work that you've done at university or I really enjoyed this part of a law clinic that I did or pro bono work and then aligning that to kind of how does that small part fit into a wider career in commercial law if that makes sense
0: No, it really does. That's really helpful. Thank you. I was also just going to ask a common question I'm often asked and even asked myself when I was uh, during the training contract was uh, application process was uh, demonstrating uh, my understanding of the law firm that I was applying to and interviewing at. So how do you demonstrate that in in, in, in an interview? What do you look for in candidates that you think, oh yeah, they've definitely, you know, done their research.
2: I think that I always use a dating analogy when it comes to kind of applying for a job or training contract and how to kind of win that employment relationship. And um, candidates can show good understanding of the firm by digging a little bit deeper and then maybe asking the person that they're wanting to see's friends for a bit of information as well. And um, I usually use the quote, you know, why would you, you why would you choose why would you choose Pepsi over Coca-Cola? You know, they sell a really similar product again with a law firm why would you choose us over our closest competitor and I think looking at recent work that we've done is important but what really makes a candidate stand out is thinking about why it's important how does it feed into our overall strategy how does it feed into kind of how we work or how we market or pitch to our clients that why part can really demonstrate a really good understanding of the firm not just what we do but thinking about this is the type of firm or the type of person they are so this would be the the why behind them making that choice so particular clients that we've worked with you know why is it that we've um you know took an expansion in a certain sector or area and I know that you know as a firm we're looking a lot around tech at the minute you know why is it that we're doing that and aligning that to either wider strategy or legal sector trends can really show and really good understanding of the firm
0: no, thank you so much. That's, uh, it's really great to get insight from the other side on, on what law firms are looking for. Uh, so moving on to kind of the, the presentation side of interviews, there's a lot of focus, especially now we're moving back into in-person interviews on body language and presentation. How, um, as a recruiter, what body language cues do you consider uh, when interviewing a candidate?
2: It's a good question. And I'd first kind of put the caveat out there that um, it depends on the type of interview that you're doing. And so a lot of firms choose strengths-based interviewing. And part of that is that they not only look at kind of the competency Um, and whether the candidate's capable of doing something but as well and whether they would enjoy it so I know for a strengths-based interview um they often ask what's called like a warm-up question so if you weren't here today what would you be doing or outside of work what do you enjoy and in that question whilst you know it's good to get to know more about the candidate we're also assessing their natural level of engagement so in those questions candidates usually talk about something that they're passionate about and we can see um from their body language the things um the cues, sorry, that the candidate would show in something that they're interested in. So I know for myself, my hands start waving when I get a bit excited, um, and I speak a little bit faster. But everybody's different. Um, I'm an actual extrovert, so for me, gauging my engagement is quite clear with my my physical cues and my um, speed of speaking. But some candidates are maybe a bit more shy, and that's absolutely fine. In that question, we'll be able to see. Um, kind of their natural level of engagement and then looking at their body language compare that to when we ask questions around kind of attention to detail um you know relationship building and see whether not only is that something that a candidate um is capable of doing but whether they enjoy it I'd say you know some simple things but eye contact is really important and you know we get a lot of um Indirect communication through our eye contact um, and just being like your authentic self with your body language will really help the interviewer feel confident that this isn't something you can do, but also this is something that you enjoy.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know about the Walmart question and yeah I've learned I've already learned so much in this interview so thank you um and I definitely also am the same with waving my hands around when I get excited and talking quite quickly so that's always a good cue I know I have to catch myself sometimes uh yeah if I if I do that uh in fact you've actually answered our next question about um per, like you know show, showcasing your personality in an interview quite nicely already so uh for the next question we wanted to ask you um, how can candidates um, ensure that they come across as confident when ask, answering questions?
2: I think my first tip and it's the most important thing I will say today and it's think before you speak um, naturally when you're nervous and you're asked a question your brain will tell you you need to speak now otherwise you're going to fail and it's going to ruin the whole interview but actually giving your um ta- your brain some time to process that question even if it's just for 5 seconds I know for me um I always say in my head breathe three two one will um help you be more confident in your answer because you won't be waffling um and also it'll show the interviewers that you've spent some time thinking before kind of giving an immediate response and I'd also say kind of coming across confident is thinking that the obviously you'll be interviewed by um usually fear and the legal professionals don't assume that they know everything so being um logical and methodological methodological in your answer in that I would do this and I would do that because of this will help you come across confident in your abilities because you may think oh I do this on a day-to-day they probably know that I would do that but we can't make that assumption in an interview Um, and I also always say to kind of sit up tall um, and smile and naturally that will give you um, the confidence to articulate yourself in a way that kind of comes across well and um, from a point of I know what I'm, I'm saying. Those are really good
0: tips. As soon as you said sit up tool, I thought, oh, I'm slouching. Uh, I've got to do the same. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's very that's very good advice. Um, so thank you. Um, and finally, we're coming towards the end of the interview, uh, and we normally uh, tackle a listener question that is submitted by one someone from the Let's Chat Law community. And today's uh, this episode's question is
2: what are some common mistakes made at interviews? Okay. Some common mistakes I think that are made at interviews are usually around timing. Um, And what I mean by that is the candidate either uses their time, doesn't use enough of their time or uses too much of it. And what that means is when we're assessing answers to questions, they're either too short or they've waffled and we've kind of lost the point. So I'd say that, you know, with, with interviews, thinking about how roughly how long, maybe asking how many questions are there and how long do I have to to, to answer them will help you kind of gauge roughly. Oh, I have around two minutes um, per question, and you don't have to overthink this to answer. And um, if I could give an example, you know, a company's asking around their values, which is the one that resonates most with you and why. Some candidates will will give too short of an answer because they're worried about time. You know, this is the value, and maybe give one sentence. Other candidates will maybe go off on a bit of a tangent um, and then they kind of lose momentum in what they're saying so that's a a really common um mistake in in interviews and then I think not linking back to the question at the end um in school um, I remember being taught about peel point evidence explanation link and it isn't as kind of structured as that but I always um give candidates the tip to kind of summarize back and link back what you've said um, in your answer to the initial question given to help the interview can interviewers see how how you've answered that question well and also it gives your um, brain some time to think about what you've said have you missed anything out or is there anything additional you want to add
0: No, that's great tips i'm definitely a big fan of the pl structure as well so yeah 100% agree uh that's um that's really helpful so thank you very much hannah and i guess before we wrap this interview up do you have any final advice to candidates that are applying for a training contract
2: yeah good question i'd say take your time and think about your unique selling point Um A lot of firms don't recruit on a rolling basis, so um, applications kind of open in usually around September, close in the new year, don't be in a rush to apply, take your time, start early but just kind of come back to it, maybe have a go um, in one week and then leave it for a couple of days and come back to it because fresh eyes will help you kind of see where there's any mistakes or anything you've missed and then often we assume that everybody has the same knowledge as as us and the same experience but actually all your knowledge and experience together will make you unique and as part of that interview process or the training contract process think about you know what are my strengths and what am i bringing and um, be confident in that and make sure that kind of is threaded through the training and um, contract application process and that will naturally kind of come across as well
0: thank you so much um, i think those are two uh, great tips uh to end this interview with so thank you very much for joining us hannah um, do you have any uh, links that you want to share where people can find you or Squires?
2: Yeah, um, obviously I'm on LinkedIn, so Hannah Greengrass, um, feel free to connect. And then um, if you do want to get in touch with Squires, it's Talent at squirepb.com.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today.
1: Wow, that was really interesting to hear from the perspective of a law firm HR team. I also didn't realise the purpose of why law firms asked an icebreaker question. So that's really interesting to know and you learn something new every day.
0: Me neither. I learnt a lot from that chat with Hannah. And then on the opposite side of the interview table, Betty from the podcast team and myself had a great chat with Nadine Wusu ansa is a current trainee sister at a Magic Circle law firm. We chatted about her experience interviewing and applying for training contracts. Welcome, Nadine, to Let's Chat Law, the podcast. Would you please like to introduce yourself? Thank you so much for having me. Um, so,
3: yes, my name is Nadine and I am a current First Sea Magic Circle
4: trainee. <laughs> and thanks for that, Nadine. If you don't mind me asking, what is your favorite legal book or movie? So, in terms of book, I actually really
3: liked the book uh, In Black and White by Alexandra Wilson. I thought that that was a great kind of insight into legal profession coming from obviously a diverse uh, lawyer. So that was really good. In terms of movie, I don't think I have a favourite legal movie, but what I do really love are series, like TV series. Um, So I would say my favourite legal TV series probably have to be how to get away with murder and suits so a bit of criminal a bit of corporate love it both
0: (laughs) some great choices of tv shows and books thanks nadine so the theme of this month's episode is interviews could you share what your experience was interviewing for vacation schemes and training contracts please
3: yeah absolutely to be honest um i've had quite a few uh, Vacations, even training contract interviews because I started applying for them back when I was in my founding of university which was back in 2015 so seven years now um, and I didn't get my training contract until January 2021 so throughout that period I've had a number of interviews with different law firms so um, from high street to um, regional firms, national firms, international firms, it's, it's been quite a lot and even then the interviews have varied so um, a lot of community based interviews but also commercial awareness and then more recently I've felt like a lot of interviews have focused on like my motivations so my motivations obviously as it relates to entering the legal profession but also my motivations as it relates to how um, I view the firm that I'm applying for as, like values and goals and how I align with those. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of different interviews, but um, I think it's definitely allowed me to practice over time how I answer certain type of questions. Um, so when it I, it did get to the stage where I had my vacation scheme and training contract uh, interview for the Magic Circle firm that I'm at now, I was a lot more
4: prepared. <laughs> Wow. Thank you for that. That sounds like, that sounds like obviously you had a lot. I'm just going to ask a two part question. So one, how did you set yourself up like mentally or like relaxed before an interview? And then in the interview, like, how did you, how can you like come across as like confident when answering the questions? If
3: I'm, I if, if I'm really honest, I don't really know if I relaxed before an interview. I feel like I'm quite intense <laughs> when it comes to preparing for interviews. So obviously when I get my interview, date or uh, confirmation I would obviously want to check what type of interview it is and then I do my prep for that leading up to the the morning or the day of the interview I'm constantly going through my notes and my answers because I like to prepare answers for quite standard questions so the why law the why commercial law the skills I would bring all of those typical commercial law questions I prepare for in advance not with the view of obviously reading it as a script in an interview or, or repeating it verbatim, but so I have an idea of how I want to communicate my experience in answer to that question. So in the lead up, I'm kind of going through my notes, um, making extra notes of anything that I actually think I wanna add that I haven't added already and kind of preparing out loud what those answers would sound like. So I don't quite know if it's relaxing, but um, <laughs> I it does mean that I'm, I'm a bit more prepared when the interview starts. I do though, try to get an early night before the interview. And then I generally tend to wake up quite early so that I make sure that I have my breakfast and again, go through my notes. (laughs) So yeah, not relaxing, but the preparation definitely helps. And then yeah, in relation to the second part of your question, so how I would come across confident in an interview, I think obviously that would depend on whether the interview's virtual or in-person. Obviously I know we're moving to maybe a bit more in-person interviews now, but virtual's still there. So I think actually in both settings, you definitely want to make sure that you're maintaining eye contact. Um, and if obviously if you have more than one interviewer, make an eye contact with both interviewers. You're not leaving one out when it comes to your engagement with them. So in-person is direct eye contact. If you're doing your interview virtually, you obviously want to make sure you're looking look in, into the camera lens. Of your laptop and you're not actually looking at the screens so you're not looking at yourself on your laptop or your computer eye contact is just a good way to connect with people and make them feel like you're talking to them so i think that shows confidence um the second thing i would say is obviously don't fidget again that's in person actually or virtual you don't want to be moving around making your eyes wonder like be present and available in the room and then Two more, I would say one, make sure you're prepared for your interview. So generally there are questions that are likely to come up in interviews. So make sure that you're preparing what it is you'd want to say in relation to that, because that does build up your confidence so that when you get that question or a similar version to your question, you have some idea about which parts of your journey or which parts of your experience you want to draw upon. Um, so preparing questions both in written form and also like prepare it out loud like ask a friend or a family member or record yourself answering that question out loud so you can hear what your answer sounds like as if you were the interviewer because then you'll be like actually no that doesn't sound too good let me rephrase it like this I think that makes a massive difference in your confidence and your delivery and then finally talk slowly and I'm smiling as I say that because I'm actually I'm actually a very fast talker so if this has been fast I'm sorry but talk slowly in the sense that um, when you're nervous it is natural for you to talk even faster because you're trying to get something out that sounds something about right or sounds about right so allow yourself to kind of slow down the pace a little bit and talk so that they can take in everything you want to say So yeah, (laughs) that's my confidence
0: tips. Thank you. And we've just talked about um, prepping obviously and how to prep for interview questions, but how do you deal with, you know, curveball questions like what kind of biscuit would you be? Or, you know, you hear some of those like crazy questions that might be asked in interviews.
3: Yeah I mean you do get quite a lot of those like I've had ones like how would you describe the color yellow like I've had lots of, of like random questions like that and I think whether they're random or whether they're just a question that you haven't quite prepared an answer for sometimes as you know all the time it's good to kind of take a minute to think about what your answer would be and don't feel pressured to ramble and give the first thing that comes to your mind because I think sometimes we rush to talk so that we don't have any silences or like awkward moments in the interview. And then we end up saying something that we later regret or wish we rephrased. So I think with any type of question that you get that you're not prepared for, take a second. I think I was once advised to say um, to the interviewer something to the something to the effect of, oh, like that's a great question. Do you mind if I take a second to think about that? Um, and I've said that many times. <laughs> so. Um, I would often say that and that kind of prepares your interviewer for the couple of seconds of silence where you think about how you want to answer their question and then you answer it. Um, And what I would say with that is in the moment, it will feel like those seconds are going by very slowly and you've just spent an hour (laughs) waiting, like an hour preparing your answer. But I think what recruiters do like um, are candidates who don't rush to just say anything, especially when it comes to being a trainee you don't want to be in a position where you're rushed to answer a a client's question that you're not prepared for they want someone who's going to sit back and think about what is the most appropriate response so definitely
4: feel confident that you can take that moment if you need to yeah thank you for that that's that's such a good point that you've just mentioned um circling back to like when we were talking about how you prep and prepare for the interview um we've heard so many times that people should always ask questions after the interview and ask the interviewer so like do you have any like go-to questions you ask at the end of your interview
3: in all honesty I think I have a number of questions that I I do prepare and the the questions that I select will very much be dependent on who my interviewer is right so it would depend on whether or it would depend on their seniority so are they a managing associate an associate or partner um and what practice area they're in and generally I would say that you want to look to prepare at least five questions and the reason why I say five is because some of your questions could be answered during the interview anyways and so you don't want to get to the stage where you've prepared to they've answered it and they're like okay any other questions and you're like no (laughs) because I I think it's really important that we kind of acknowledge that We're never gonna know everything about the firm, everything about the industry or everything about our interviewers. So there's always a question you can ask. And so you don't wanna be under pressure to think about something on the spot. So if you prepare at least five, then you're guaranteed to have something to ask at the end. Um, In terms of the type of questions I would ask, I think as a rule of thumb, I tend to ask at least one question that is commercial or based. So at the beginning of the interview, Um, Your interviewer should tell you, you know, their name, (laughs) obviously, their status. So I'm a partner in, and then obviously their department. So, one question I would try to have focus on a commercial issue. So, if there are, um, for example, a partner in employment law, um, I would look to ask them about their views on an employment law issue that I'd heard come up in the news. Or similarly, if they were a partner in real estate, how Um, they think the real estate market is going based on X, Y, and Z. I want to insert commercial knowledge into my question. Um, A second question I would ask would be based on the firm. So I think make sure you prepare questions about the firm. Obviously, you want to make sure that any question you ask about the firm is not easily accessible on their website. So make sure any basic kind of, any questions you prepare about the firm, you know you've done some research you can't find a very direct answer about. So that could be in terms of the firm's outlook, Growth outlook, so opening offices, closing offices, obviously because of the pandemic, the, any change in policy that they've introduced, something like that. And then thirdly, I think it's important to ask a question about them as an individual. In my opinion, it's really important that you take control of this part of the interview because it's the only part of the interview that you can completely control. You never know what questions they're going to ask, but you know what questions you can ask them and how you can kind of guide it. So by asking them a question about themselves, it kind of allows you to build that relationship with them if you haven't done it in the last 30, 40 minutes of the interview. So it would be something like, oh, um, so I understand you, obviously you said that you've been a partner, what's been the most challenging thing for you about being a partner? So it can be a generic question, but it's a question that makes them talk about them and their experience. That was a very long answer, but essentially like a commercial question, a firm
0: question and a question about them, that's kind of
3: what I would look to
0: No, those are also so many great tips and I agree with all of them um, and I think yeah five having five questions prepared instead of three is actually a much better like suggestion and tip um, because yeah usually they do always um, you know answer it slightly so it's good to you know have backup questions or pick up on what they said in in the interview in your discussion always a good chance you know to interview the firm as well as let them interview you. So. We had a listener question submitted about what are the common or some of the common mistakes made at interviews? That
3: is such a good question because having done so many interviews, I know the type of mistakes that I've made, and I have to constantly make sure that I'm addressing those things so it doesn't repeat itself in the next interview. And feedback that I've received that obviously were before and maybe on the not so positive side, I won't say negative, but pos-
1: not so positive.
3: um was one being unstructured answers. So kind of tying in back to what I said about you know not wanting to ramble and just talk for the sake of talking, you do generally want there to be a clear structure to any answer that you give. So whether it's you're kind of providing a timeline or overview about, like, for example, if they ask you know why law, you may kind of guide them through how you got to the decision that you wanted to pursue law or whether it's a, a question that's competency-based. So they're asking you a question. If you know, describe a time where you've worked in a team or describe a time where you've supported a team to achieve a goal, a competency-based question. It's really important to use Thank things so like the STAR much. method uh, so that I'm you can easily you structure the, how it uh, is and that you're going to respond and communicate um, your skills and the competency that they're looking for. So I think unstructured answers is definitely uh, a common mistake. I would say the second thing would be going back to what we've just talked about, about obviously not preparing answers, because this is your time to kind of shine and kind of get the the answers to the questions that you're looking for and also demonstrate your understanding of the firm and your commercial awareness and literally turn the interview around. Um, I think not answering questions is is definitely a big one. And then thirdly, I would say it's hard. So I I understand what I'm about to say can be hard, but not relaxing. Obviously interviews can be very high pressured. You know, you obviously really want the job. You put a lot of pressure on yourself. And so you can go into interview feeling like, okay, I just need to impress. I just need to answer the question. But I think it's really important to understand that for any any role you apply for, they don't expect you to know everything. So with that being said, relax into the interview a little bit to where you can show your personality um, and communicate with the interviewer on a human level. And I'll give you an example of that. When I had my vacation scheme interview for the firm I'm at now, I was asked a finance question and I hate finance. (laughs) Like It's not that I hate finance, but I I definitely have less experience in finance. so like equity versus debt and all of that type of stuff. And I had um, my interviewer ask me like a debt related question and I absolutely avoided debt on my LPC. And so I didn't have any any ans- any like firm, convicted answer on the question. And I literally laughed and I was like, I'm not quite sure um, if I'm really honest, but X, Y, and Z. And I think when I showed my personality, but it also didn't give up before answering the question, it really did also allow him to get comfortable with me. And he was like, no, it's fine, just have a go. And we kind of laughed about it and it just kind of proceeded. Allow yourself to relax and show your personality because at the end of the day, your interviewers are people and they want to see you as a person. You're not just a name on a list. So
4: allow yourself to kind of have that moment with them as well. That's really good. Those are like some really good points, which kind of feeds into our next question. So I know we've kind of talked about it throughout all the questions, but if you could just give us like some top tips for candidates that are applying for a training contract, We know you had a top 10 on YouTube, so you can just give us just a few top tips. That'd be really great.
3: Yeah, in terms of maybe my three top tips, I would say researching the firm is extremely important at every stage of the process. So whether it's the application form you're filling out, the interview stage. Um, any events you go to for the firm research of that firm is the underlying foundation and in terms of conducting your research you want to be looking at reaching out to people at the firm I think when you do that on things like LinkedIn you get a really personal experience and overview of the firm and then obviously you can always make reference to that in your application form and your interview etc you also also want to look at the firm's publication so that whether that's the website whether that's uh, any major information about them in the press, so uh, things like Financial Times, have they had any cases come up, things of that nature. And then also you wanna be obviously attending the firm's events. So all of that ties into research and building your understanding of the firm as it is. So that's tip number one. <laughs> tip number two, I would say, please proofread your application. And the reason why I feel like it's such an important tip to mention is because regardless of how much research you've done, regardless of how much you want the position, if you have several errors in your application form, it can kind of paint a bad picture of you and you don't ever want the quality of your work to be taken away because you've included errors in it, right? And it's definitely something I avoided because I was scared to you know, send my application form to a friend or a family member because I thought, oh, I don't want them to read my answer. What would they think about it? And really and truly, I think you'd prefer a friend or family member pull you up on something than graduate recruitment pull you up on something or they don't even pull you up on it. They just reject it because they've seen it and you didn't see it before you submitted it. So definitely make sure you're, you're reviewing your application form, spelling it, spell, spell checking it, um, grammar check and content check. Like, have you actually answered the question? Um, that set or have you kind of copy and pasted and answered that is similar but it's not actually a question they're asking finally my third tip would be develop your commercial awareness and this is a really big tip for me because again it's something I avoided for a while and I think I avoided it because there's like this myth and understanding and uncertainty as to what is commercial awareness And so either we avoid it or we do what we think it is, but it's not really what it is, which means we're not actually demonstrating it the way we should demonstrate it. So ways to develop your commercial awareness would be things like keeping up to date with the news. So whether that's, you know, Watson's Daily or the Legal Update, Little Law, Financial Times, Economist, finamize all those different publications can keep you up to date with what's going on. But then also once you are aware of what's going on, kind of develop your understanding of what's going on. So that may be talking to other people and getting their views and perceptions about how markets are changing, what's going on in the world. And then also thinking and reflecting about how that affects a law firm. If that business is the law firm's client, what would the law firm be doing for that client? So what departments would be involved? What would they want to wanting to advise on? And how might one law firm be more beneficial to that client than another? Like that is to me, commercial awareness. Um, So make sure you're developing that because it will absolutely come up, if not in the application, in the interview.
0: Thank you so much, Nadine, for those three great top tips. If listeners would like to obviously watch the full YouTube video uh, or connect with you online, where can they find you?
3: Yeah, so... um, I've definitely got my my legal uh, top ten tips on my YouTube, but I've got some other content like application forms um, and things like that. So on YouTube, I'm uh, under the name Legally Diverse, and then on my Instagram, I produce a lot of different content about different things <laughs> and relating to the legal process, the legal profession as well. And it is at Legally Diverse on Instagram. I do have a LinkedIn account, but I don't really use it a lot. So if you do want to connect with me, I think Instagram and YouTube are better. And if you want to, drop me a message and I'll respond.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, And we loved having you on the uh, episode today. Hooray. Well done, Betty. Well done, Nadine.
1: So moving on to our next segment, which is our listener question, in which Betty, our podcast editor, is going to introduce. So Betty, would you like to introduce
4: yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Betty. I'm currently doing the LPC LLM at BPP University. Amazing. Thank you so much, Betty.
1: Um, So do you want to introduce the listener question, please?
4: Yeah, so um, a final year law student um, recently asked, you know, because obviously we're getting to that season when everyone's going to be having interviews. And they asked what some of the common mistakes that people actually make at interviews. I think looking into it, I think some of the things that I know I've been told from like feedback from recruitment, um, recruitment teams is um, one of the first things is rushing to answer questions, which I was just doing now. (laughs) <laughs> which is why you end up so, you, know, you end up sounding like you actually don't have much confidence because it's like you're just trying to get everything out at the same time. So it's like, it's okay to take a break and just breathe, which also gives you time to understand the question that they're actually asking you and even formulate like a sort of structure in your head. So like, that's the first tip I would give. Um, I think the second thing would be when you don't link your answers back to the actual question that was asked. Because sometimes what happens is, you know, they ask the question and you go on, if you use, for instance, the STAR technique. So by the time you go through situation, task, action, results, sometimes it's easy to be like, oh, and just like, end the question, end the answer there. But it's kind of like always link it back to exactly what they asked you, because it shows, you know, it speaks back to structure. If you think about any of the essays that you've written at school, the conclusion always kind of has to tie up everything, show that, you know, based on all the points you've made, this is the answer to the question that was asked. I would say the third thing, which was very important, I think one of the partners um, at a recent firm I interviewed at said, when people don't prepare questions to ask at the end, and not just any question that could be found like on the website, like things that would actually make the partner think. So one time I think I asked them, I asked them like about where they currently are in their journey and whether if they were in my shoes at the moment, whether they would make any decision that would be slightly different from the one they've actually made in their journey. And it's not something that you can find on the website. It's it's actually something that makes them like stop and think, which is good. So if you prepare like two to three questions, just to make sure two, three unique questions to ask at the end, it shows, okay, this person is actually not just all here to just like tattle and just say answers and leave. And I think the fourth thing I would say is, um, using the same example. So I know sometimes it's like, oh, I don't have enough legal work experience. So you want to use that one for every single question that they ask. Uh, It's perfectly okay to use like even examples of things like you volunteered, um, you worked in your students' union, you were part of a society. I once used in a video interview, which I passed, that I woke up early at 7 a.m. to go to yoga every single Thursday for like a whole term. And apparently it showed commitment and drive and consistency. And that's yoga. That's not, you know, I didn't have to say that, you know, when I actually went to yoga, it was horrible. That didn't matter. I went. So it's just like making sure don't limit yourself to like, oh, I only have like one legal work experience. And that's what I want to use. Use all like non-legal experiences. Anything you can think of is possibly relevant. As long as you can, like I said before, link it back to the question that was asked. So yeah, those are my top tips, I would say, of common mistakes people actually make at interviews. I love that you
1: went back to the question as well. So that's really rounded and showing the structure that you've learned from your top tips. I actually did interviews recently. The main tip that I can give someone is be confident, because my feedback was, which is surprising, because I'm not normally a nervous person. I was absolutely terrified I was shaking I sat in my seat and I wanted the seat to gobble me up and they noticed it so I think really be confident and just the normal people that you're speaking to I know pupillage interviews are being held at the moment and it is very scary but I think it's really important to be confident and be yourself and in relation to the not um not asking questions at the end, I think that's really difficult. But what's really important is not to ask someone a question that that you can find on the website, like um, Betty said. But even if you just say at the end that, for example, oh, I've just received this grade back for this subject, um, and then it ends on a lighter note, like a really impressive ending, don't just kind of say, oh, well, I don't have an A questions for you and i have nothing else to say because it becomes very like disheartening for people and sometimes that can even just be across next to your name um so thank you so much betty for answering the question and it's very important that anyone else um that's listening has any questions about interviews um i'm sure our full podcast team and let's chat law would be happy to help
0: So next up on the podcast is the commercial awareness update with our very own Queenie Mann, the podcast, one of the podcast editors for Let's Chat Law, the podcast. Queenie, would you like to introduce yourself?
5: Yes, uh, I'm Queenie and I'm final year law student at the University of Sussex and I'm also a podcast editor with the Let's Chat Law team.
0: Thank you. And so what is your
5: commercial awareness story of the month? So this month, it's been over a month since the Russian-Ukraine war started, so many Western countries are putting financial pressure on the Russian government to to stop the conflict. So this month we'll talk about how the war affects global energy security. So Queenie, why are we talking about oil and gas? So after the war has started, there are possibilities of Russia imposing counter sanctions by uh, cutting off Russian natural supplies to the Western countries. The EU heavily relies on Russian natural resources, uh, such as oil and gas imports. The EU mainly received nearly 40% of the gas and 25% of oil from Russia. So in that case, if Russia cuts off these supplies, it will cause an alarm to the EU energy supply market. However, comparatively speaking, UK is much less reliant on oil and gas from Russia than the EU. And why this topic is quite important for us to know, because uh, Germany recently stopped the Nord Stream 2 Baltic Sea gas pipeline project. And also, there are uh, several large oil companies are leaving Russian markets, such as BP, Exxon, and Shell.
0: Yeah, so I've been reading a lot in the news about companies, including oil companies, leaving Russia or, or cutting off Russian um, suppliers. What are the implications to for oil and energy businesses?
5: So for BP, Exxon and Shell, when they shut down service stations in Russia, of course, they're Energy supplies and customers will be affected and their profits will be affected in the Russian region as well. And also for industries rely heavily on oil and gas supplies, they may have to recalculate their risks and look for alternative suppliers. Um, The UK business secretary recently set up a task force to help these companies to seek for reliable alternative trade partners such as the, the Netherlands, the US and the Gulf. Second. So what are the effects of the war in Ukraine on energy markets? So since the Russians invasion of the Ukraine, the European gas prices increased by almost 70 percent and crude oil rose above one hundred and five dollars a barrel for the first time since 2014. And on the, for the consumer side, the UK could see a 54 percent spike on their energy bills for 22 million households yeah
0: i have definitely experienced that spike um i've got a lot of letters through the post from my um gas and um, electricity provider saying my rates are going up so i'm definitely feeling the effect of that plus obviously all the other factors that were going on beforehand so what can eu countries and the uk do uh without the continuous supply of you know russian natural gas and oil
5: going forward The goal for these countries is to reduce reliance on Russian energy. So with the humanitarian crisis unfolded, these countries could no longer rely heavily on traditional energies, so they need to look for alternatives such as uh, renewable energy, and some countries will speed up their plans to roll out clean energy technologies and renewable electricity systems. And there are also plans to develop new projects in the North Sea that will produce oil and gas after 28 years
0: those are super interesting um, options going forward and it will be good to see uh, whether this will actually fast track our reliance um our, our transition to renew- renewable energy so going back to the sanctions on the russian economy what we talked about this a little bit at the let's chat
5: lunch in march but what are the effects uh, on the russian economy so when we talk about the effects of sanctions on the russian economy so with the isolation from the West, the Russia will experience sharp decline in the value of the Russian currency rubble. And there'll be a potential shortage of imported goods. And as we see, there are lots of American chains such as McDonald's and Starbucks are pulling out and card operators as well, such as MasterCard and Visa. So these will likely to cause a substantial acceleration in Russian inflation. Now we'll see a weaker Russian currency there will be higher prices of important goods and we'll see uh, the Russian customers will suffer from a lower purchasing power and gradually it will lead to a decline in Russia's real GDP.
6: Yeah Queenie if I may add um, we can already see that the Russian economy has been brought to its knees as this new video that emerged on social media a few days ago Um, shows a Russian man throwing a huge amount of money, um, the Russian currency ruble, into the floor. And the amount is so big, but because the currency is um, worthless, no one is bothering to pick it up. And I think that just reflects on the value of the Russian ruble and just the state of the Russian economy. And on that note, do
1: you guys think that the Russian economy or targeting the Russian people is actually the correct way to go to stop the war?
5: That's really interesting. And do you think that the sanctions are effective? So personally speaking, I believe that these sanctions are not effective enough to stop the war In Ukraine because uh, Russia now looks for alternative markets and China is one of the allies that um, Russia has been relying on because uh, China is one of the Russia's largest export markets for oil which accounts for 20 percent for Russian oil and 25 percent for Russian coal. I believe there are other ways that the war can be stopped uh, through other ways such as mediation and uh, other than on the same note, uh, I think sanctions are not effective either because Russia has a strong allies, China, and Russia always can look for China for some financial or economic support. And even it can also export oil and gas to China. And even for the payment system, it can rely on China and And I think China's economy is really strong. So it's got a strong backup, even sanctioned. It doesn't stop uh, Putin's aggression on Ukraine.
6: Um, uh, In my personal opinion, I don't think so. I am Syrian. We've been experiencing the same exact thing for about 10 years now. We know with the Caesar laws, Syria, just up until two months ago, was the most sanctioned country on planet Earth no one could say anything, no one could do anything, so I don't think sanctions are the way to go, um, even if they do end up inherently targeting the people, I, I don't think it, it fixes the country, it, it only starves, you know, the hungry, and makes the poor, poor. Um, I was just going to say,
4: like, obviously, we were talking about it at the um, Leshat lunch, and we were saying, like, you know, one of the questions, one of the question prompts was, like, you know, especially since everyone has said, like, oh, they don't think, in their opinion, that the sanctions are actually effective so it's like then why would the country possibly be imposing sanctions that's possibly hurting their own country for something that is possibly not as effective as what they wanted i think it's very
1: controversial to target you know the people that in reality they don't actually have much control over what putin is deciding to do it's definitely a difficult subject to discuss and it's very sad Not only for the people that are suffering in Ukraine, but also the people in Russia that are also suffering from the economy without actually having any intention or choice in the matter.
0: Well, thank you everyone for sharing your opinions on that news story. It was great to hear different perspectives, especially on the yeah the question are our sanctions against russia effective it's definitely one that's been debated in the news and fortunately or unfortunately we won't actually we won't really find out the answer until you know a couple of years even down the line uh, when we're able to kind of look at the big picture And finally on the podcast today we have Lana who's here to present our fun fact of the week. Lana do you want to quickly introduce yourself?
6: Hi my name is Lana, I'm a second year law student in Trinity College Dublin and I'm very excited for this month's legal fact. Thank you and what's the legal fun fact? The legal fact for this month comes from the Land Down Under from Australia, and it is absolutely the cutest legal fun fact I have ever heard. A young boy had written to the family court of Western Australia asking if he could adopt his six teddy bears. The judge responded with a heartwarming letter saying um, his request has been granted under the fictitious International Teddy Act of 1980. Like, how adorable. He also mentioned that the boy has been ordered to treat the teddy bears with care and treat them like his own children. This post went viral because the dad has shared this um, news on social media platforms and it has gained a lot of likes um, ever since, you know, the post has been shared. Yeah, that that's what this month's legal fact includes.
0: Thanks for sharing, that's super cute. And as you said, very heartwarming. So it's nice to hear some positive, uh, fun news. Well, that's it for this month's interview episode at Let's Chat Law The Podcast. A big thank you to our amazing guests, Hannah Greengrass and Nadine Owusu-Ansa for coming along and sharing their top tips about interviews. And of course, a big thank you to the Let's Chat Law podcast team stay tuned for the next episode of let's chat law the podcast in the next episode we'll be talking all about cvs if you have a cv related question for our guests in the next episode please email us at letschatlaw@gmail.com at we might select your question to put to our guests anonymously of course we appreciate all your feedback on let's chat law the podcast Please let us know what you thought by leaving us a comment or sending us a message on Instagram or LinkedIn. And don't forget to leave a review. Please remember to click subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to get notifications when the next episode is out. Finally, remember to subscribe to the Let's Chat Law monthly newsletter to be the first to know about our latest news, events and podcast episodes. We'll put the link in the description. See you all next month.